half is over it. Duda. Into the roof of the net. That seals it. And Hertha Berlin have a second straight victory to start the Bundesliga season. Song we all know and love. Blau und Weiß sein Leben lang. Hallo meine Leute, wie geht's? Willkommen zum das einzige Schalke Podcast auf Englisch. That's right folks, officially the world's only English Schalke Podcast. The host is back, Richard Carmen. I'm back and uh, thank you for tuning back to our show. Schalke fans are some of the greatest fans in the world, many of whom speak English. This pod aims to bring you the latest from the Royal Blues talk to the English-speaking fans of the club and get their point of view across, and bring you game highlights. As always, joining me on the show is co-host Jack Mangan. Uh, both Jack and I who went into hiding after this last game. More so Jack, who went into the, to vent in the woods. How was your weekend outside of Schalke, Jack? Papa Carmen. So generous of you to uh, grace us with your presence. Welcome back, sir. Papa Diddy uh, Carmen. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, ugh. Brutal, brutal game for us on on Sunday there, but uh, yeah. I'm uh, got some scotch next to me here, so I'm uh, I'm more than prepared to uh, try to talk through this thing. I thought you were gonna say pour one out to the homies from Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm electing to go with coffee. Uh, as being a papa now, I'm getting much less sleep, so uh, find any way to stay awake. So very much um, understandable. Yeah, yeah, and I just rewatched a Chalka game, so you understand why I need some coffee. Um, yeah. Speaking of Schalke, the, I did want to attend this past Sunday, but I didn't get a chance because I was so busy. Um, the Donner Bistro in uh, Leesburg, Virginia, uh, the Schalke group had gone out there. It was uh, I saw about 10, pe- 10 people who went out there to, and they took pictures. Uh, it seemed like they had a lot of fun there outside of watching the game. Um, but yeah, it sounds like a fun thing there. There's a little Schalke bar there, so I'm going to definitely have to attend some games there and, and maybe interview the, the bartender or the owner or something like that. And interview some of the fans there so that's that's pretty cool that's, that's, that's as close as i get for me i know you were thinking about going to something near you right well yeah, i'm kind of up in the chicago area there's the uh amsterdam tavern down in st louis uh, which is a pretty well-established soccer pub uh down there is hosting Irwin once again for the nice. schalke Bayern mess so i'm thinking i might try to pop down there for that one but uh no it sounds like you got a nice group near you in the the, the soccer mecca of leesburg virginia <laughs> And so for all of us uh, people who are not so good with geography, how far is St. Louis from uh, Chicago? Eh, four plus hours. Okay, it's not, not, not Not terrible. No, nah, it's not too bad. Uh, all right. Well, I guess uh, one game in and we're already in the hole. Uh, many teams fell that first week. Uh, we knew we couldn't afford to go down 0-2. Hertha Berlin had other thoughts. On today's quick rundown of the show, We'll talk the Champions League draw, begrudgingly recap that Hertha Berlin match from Sunday, and finish off with listener questions. Jack, uh, what do you say? Let's take it away.
and we're back. Uh, it was nice to hear that Champions League theme. It's uh, one of my favorite themes. I think it's one of my favorite pieces of music in, in in all the world, Jack. I don't know about you, but I, every time I hear it, I just like I get so excited. How about you? Yeah, and it sounds a little sweeter this year now that we are uh, back in that competition. Yeah, it's uh, it was. Uh, did you did you wake up to watch the draw there on uh, what was it that one Friday it came out? It was actually happening, I believe, during the workday. Uh, so I may or may not have been covertly streaming that at the office but uh yeah pretty pretty dramatic pretty dramatic stuff yeah um as you can tell my my sense of time and days are gone now that i have a kid so i can't tell when i'm up when i'm sleeping so i've been off i just said today's my first day back at work so i'm trying to get back into the flow um and back at back to the work at meaning on the podcast um so let's take a look at the the group Schalke drew uh Schalke are in a group with porto out of portugal Galatasaray out of Turkey and Lokomotiv Moscow with a, a former friend of ours or a friend of ours, if you will. Um, what are your thoughts on the group? Well, I think Schalke fans everywhere have to be very happy with the group that we drew. Obviously, there's no such thing as an easy Champions League group, especially uh, with the way Schalke has been playing so far this season. You definitely <laughs> yeah. wouldn't pin them to kind of walk through this thing that easily. But, um, you know, that being said, we, we, the pot t- pot one team that we drew is, I think, pretty inarguably the uh, the weakest of those, and that's Lokomotiv Moscow. So that was a lucky draw in that sense. And then you know Porto and Galatasaray, uh, you know, not not slouch teams by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I think when our ticket kind of got pulled up, there was really three groups that we could have been drawn into at that point. Uh, the first of those had uh, Barcelona and Tottenham at that point. Yeah. And the second of those had uh, PSG and, and Napoli at that point. Uh, so we definitely lucked out avoiding both of those and ending up in the in the group that had you know Locomotive and Porto. And then uh, those other two groups ended up adding Liverpool and uh, uh, Inter Milan at the end of it. Well, because those were the two teams that were in uh, Pot Three and Pot Four, kind of strangely. So those those ended up being deadly, deadly groups, and we we somehow avoided. Both of those. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely pretty pleased. I think there's actually almost more pressure on us now to do better, you know, by nature of what I think a lot of people would consider to be one of the easier groups. Yeah, had we been in a group with Liverpool, Napoli, and PSG, not, nobody would have expected us to get out. So, no pressure, and you could focus on whatever the league if you want. But now, uh, you're expected to progress at this point, and anything short of that is considered failure, right? Yeah, and then as you said, uh, obviously a reunion with not only Benedict Hivides, but uh, apparently Jefferson Farfan as well, yes, who yes. I was not aware had made that move to to Locomotive, but um, I, I was made aware of that too. So that'll be can't wait for them to beat us, right? Uh, that'll be that'll <laughs> that'll be great. <laughs> yeah, who do we cheer for? Farfan scoring a goal, or are we giving up a goal? Um, so if you look at the, the German teams in the in this uh, in the Champions League, who would you say has the easiest group? So we know our group, right? Uh, yeah. BVB, they got Atletico Madrid, Club Bruges, and Monaco in their group. Um, if we scroll down to Bayern München, uh, they have AEK Athens, Ajax, and Benfica. And then you look at Hoffenheim, they have Lyon, Man City, Shakhtar Donetsk. Of the four German teams in the in Champions League, who has the easiest of the draws? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's our group. Uh, after that, probably Bayern's. Um, although you would expect them to advance, you know, regardless of whatever group they're in. <laughs> right. Um, Dortmund's got Atletico and Monaco, uh, yeah. which is a couple tough teams for them. And then obviously 
as you said, Hoffenheim has not only Manchester City, but Shakhtar and, and Lyon, which are also two pretty good clubs. So, uh, yeah, I think it's our group the easiest, Bayern second, and then maybe a toss-up between that, that, that Dortmund group and that Hoffenheim group. Maybe that Hoffenheim group is slightly easier. Um, but, you know, w- with the the injuries and everything that Hoffenheim has going right now and, you know, kind of the lack of depth in that squad, that might be a more difficult ask than you know, some of the resources that, that Dortmund have at this point. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Of the three teams in our group, Porto, Galatasaray, and Lokomotiv Moscow, um, which of the road games do you foresee being the most difficult? Galatasaray is a tough place to play, man. Away games in Turkey are pretty wild. Yeah. Um, And especially when you have that that Germany-Turkey thing going on. Uh, I think think that'll be a really tough test for us. Yeah, I know. Anytime you go to Istanbul and you play either Galatasaray, um, oh, the name is escaping me now. Um, Fenerbahce or, or Besiktas. I mean, that's like hell on earth. When you, it's, like, it's just like going to Greece or something like that. Yeah, like Olympiacos or something Olympiacos. like that. Olympiacos, right? yeah, 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 exactly. So that's, that's going to be a hard place to play for any team, not, not let alone Schalke. Uh, Porto is a very, very good team home in a way. That'll be a tricky fixture there for sure. And then, and then Lokomotiv Moscow, you never know how the team is going to travel. You expect. You expect the team to do well at home, but it's where I guess with the points where they get on the road is what really make or break their the progression into the tournament. Um, what does Schalke have to do in your in your opinion? Uh, what, what what how's the lineup for them to progress? Looking at this uh, without looking at the schedule, but looking at the team they have to face. Yeah, yeah, I think we need to put in a good opening performance at home against Porto and and kind of keep that home form. Going, um, you know, we had pretty good home form in the Bundesliga last season. Uh, that obviously was not the case on Sunday against <laughs> against Hertha. But uh, you know, if that if that can be a fortress for us, and you know, at, at least at a minimum, if not picking up wins, you know, grabbing some draws on those ones, I think we have a decent chance to advance. It just like I said, given the first couple performances this season from us, I'm a little bit less optimistic than I was previously, just because I think we've looked uh, pretty awful, to be to be honest. But uh, as I said earlier, I think we've really been handed a gift. With this group, particularly given the other couple groups that we could have been drawn into at that point, and uh, pressure's on to make the most of it now. It's you know, it's one of those things. It's like, what are you going to do with it? I think a lot of people thought Schalke had a somewhat decent chance to advance before this draw even even took place, and now given this, uh, I think it'll definitely be looked at as as a failure if we don't. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, for me, looking at Porto home and away. I, I would be content if they drew at minimum both both home and away. Um, if you lose, it's not the end of the world. But the next two of two of the teams are make it that much more difficult. Galatasaray at home, you got, you have to win that. Um, if you go to Galatasaray and you can get a point, that would be a victory in my eyes. Lokomotiv Moscow, much the same thing. Another three points at home. Um, and if you at least get one point there, you're looking at there. If you do that. Uh, that's six, seven, eight points right there. Eight points will probably get you through, but um, again, it depends on uh, you know what you do on the road. Um, well, in Chalka's, in Chalka's form lately, it's uh, it's what you do no matter what. But uh, um, if they can, if they can get the eight points out of those two teams and then get somehow get one or two points uh, from Porto, that's nine, ten points. That's progressing, in my opinion. So um, should be interesting as we get get you know into the games and see how they play in their first game and see what which team shows up. Yeah, and I think I think Porto probably isn't quite as difficult of a squad as it would have been in, in recent seasons. I think they've taken a little bit of a step back in terms of how dangerous they might be. So, um, yeah, I, I would I would agree. I, th- I think we need to 
get off to a good start against them in the first one and then hopefully, you know, not not drop too many points on the road. All right. And then uh, to close out this Champions League talk, um, well, two points. A, do you think we'll – how do you think we'll do? you think we're going to progress? I, I think we need to improve from how we've been playing in order to progress. Uh, I think if we play at least – up to kind of the standards we played last season, I think we have a pretty good shot. Okay. But, uh, you know, that remains to be seen. Yeah, no, no, I, I'm kind of the same way. I think if, if they play like they did last year, they can progress. If they play like they have the first two games, they're going to be out. Not, maybe not even Europa League. They might just be out overall, um, which, would be a, which would be a disaster, in my opinion, considering who the group is. Um, so, um, And then lastly on this Champions League talk... Um, of the other three teams involved from representing the Bundesliga, do you think who who if if any do you think will progress the next round? I mean, obviously Bayern is going to be a given, but yeah, Bayern. Um, can BVB uh, get out of their group? Uh, can Hoffenheim? I guess I would be more optimistic about Dortmund, just because I think the quality in that squad and, like as I said, the depth is is a little bit better. Right. Um, I, I think it's going to be. Uh, I mean, if Hoffenheim advances, that's that's a, that's a masterclass by Julian Nagelsmann, I think. I, I would um, but I, I mean, I do see. I mean, you look at some of these other groups. You know, there's a group that has uh, Madrid and Roma. There's a group that has Juventus and Manchester United and Valencia. Yeah. Um, you there's know, the easily other, four groups of death. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and then the other two groups that we mentioned, of course, like, you know, the Barca, Tottenham, Inter group, and the Liverpool, Napoli, PSG group. Like, I actually think all the German teams fared reasonably well with their draws. Like, they yeah. avoided some of the more difficult ones. So, um, I mean, I think it is, in theory, possible that all four teams advance. I just wouldn't bank on Hoffenheim, and I'd probably not bank on Dortmund either. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, it, it could end up being that Dortmund advances and Schalke doesn't, because we haven't, we haven't looked good. But, uh yeah, I'd, I'd say for sure the two that should would be us and Bayern, and then to a less, slightly lesser extent, Dortmund. Yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of with you there. I think if Hoffenheim do progress out of that group, it's it's going to be a stroke of genius by Nagelsmann, which isn't out of the realm. But um, based on what they did last year, except for the end of the last game of the season, uh, I don't know if they're going to have it in them, especially when all the vultures came and and, and took their players like us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway. Well, that was the uh, talk on the Champions League. Um, Schalke fans, did you feel uh, we got a good draw? Tell us about it at SO4 underscore podcast on Twitter. All right. Now, I guess we should uh, be talking about this game on Sunday, Jack. Uh, it's uh, Schalke was in home against Hertha Berlin. Um, a bit of history in this one. Uh, Berlin coming into this have never won in Gelsenkirchen. Remember that. Remember that. Hey, when they tell us this bit of information before magic, <laughs> because it always backfires on us. Um, you know, if we look at last year, because it, it gets involved in this game, but um, we scored, what, 26 goals from set pieces last year, and we had plenty of opportunities in this game. And we failed on each one of them. Um, it's it's a hard. We we set ourselves to an amazing standard last year with that twenty six goals. It's going to be hard to replicate no matter what. If you get even close to that, it means you're having a good season, I think. Um, but do you think they were? You think that twenty six goal mark is just going to be hanging over their head all season long? Uh, not necessarily. Not unless the offense doesn't improve from last year. 
uh, if the offense doesn't get better kind of in general on, on things outside of set pieces, then I think maybe that number will be hanging over it because we'll, we'll know that that's probably a, a mark that we have to hit to kind of earn the same kind of points we were last year. Uh, and uh, so far this season, through the first couple games, it doesn't look like anything has really changed with uh, Schalke's ability to really break opponents down from open play. So if they don't uh, stay on pace with that set piece form, we, we could be in we could be in trouble. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they're already talking about. Oh, we'll, we'll get into the other stuff later later in this game. But um, look, let's look at the lineups of this one. Uh, it was I was curious to see how Tedesco would come out with this one. There's so many pieces we have at our at his at our disposal. His disposal. Um, in goal, obviously, Captain Ralph Fairman. Um, at left back, you had Baba Raman, which was good to see. Um, I always like to see a, help, a healthy Baba. Um, Naldo with uh, Salif Sane at central defense, and then uh, Daniel Caligiri would li- line up at right back, sort of. Um, in the midfield, you had Sebastian Rudy, Weston McKinney, and Nabil Benteleb. And then up top, you had Kona Playanka with uh, Brielle Mbolo and Mark Uth. Mark Uth is it, was playing the nine role. Uh, on the bench, uh, Nubel, Serder, Bergstaller, Skrbitsky, Toykert, Harit, and Schof. Uh, it's worth noting that there was no defender on the bench. Um, let's just talk about that real quick. In your opinion, I've heard when not adding a second goaltender on the bench can do, but no defender on the bench? That's, that's like rolling the dice, isn't it? Yeah, part, I mean, part of that's obviously the Nastasic suspension uh, via that absurd red card decision uh, last week. And then I think I think Stambouli's injured as well, is he not? I could be wrong about that. Um, so so that could have contributed to both of those things, but, uh, yeah, just going with the two center backs today in the starting lineup and Naldo and Sané. I mean, I guess what Tedesco's looking at is that, you know, he, he has Daniel Caligiri who's played there before. Obviously, Baba Raman's back there. If he wanted to, he could do McKinney because he's flirted with that once. Um, but other than that, yeah, that's, that's rolling the dice because if somebody gets injured, like say if Naldo or Sané gets injured, you know, Heaven forbid, uh, who who goes in the back there to help out, you know? So it's, it gets tricky at that point. But, I mean, it is what it is. Um, overall, in the lineup, what did you make of it, uh, at least how it looked on paper, uh, the formation and all that? Well, I mean, yeah, so it was it was very strange. Um, to me, what it seemed like he was doing was he just was really eager to get Sebastian Rudy into the lineup right away, Yeah, which may or may not have been a good idea, uh, just because I don't think, you know, he only been there a matter of days before he gets put into his first game. It might be a little bit early for him. Um, and then it seemed like he didn't want to drop Weston McKenney, but there just wasn't a spot for him in the midfield anymore. So he moved him into a right back position, which he only has really played, um, I guess, briefly yeah. last game after the red card. And then at one other point last season after, I think, a similar red card. Um, so it's not something that he's particularly familiar with. I'm sure he's worked on him and trained to some extent. Um, but uh so what it looked like we were doing was when we were when the opponent had the ball in our half of the pitch and we were dropping back, it looked like we were dropping into a five three two where Caligari and Balaraman are on like the wing back positions and then it's a it's a center back three of McKenney and Aldo and Sane. But then when we had the ball and we started going forward, it looked like we switched to a back four with McKenney at right back. Yeah. And then Caligari Caligari actually pushing up really, really high and a midfield either a midfield four or a midfield three of um, Mbolo at times was kind of almost playing like a central midfield role in terms of his position on the pitch. It was very, very strange. Um, And so it was kind of a fluid thing that was shifting back and forth, depending on kind of where the ball was. And um, I mean, if you have that kind of fluidity, fluidity, it's, it's potentially a useful thing. If you can change your shape to 
match certain situations, but it, it honestly just kind of looks like it caused a little bit of confusion out there. Um, and, uh, you know, particularly Weston McKenney had a couple issues at the right back position. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. And it's, uh, even, at, even at times when they pushed up, it, it looked like they went into a three, five, two with McKinney being in the back, uh, Raman and Kalajiri in the midfield with Imbolo, like you said, who dropped down deep. And yeah, it was just like, it seemed to me that, uh, Tedesco was being too cutesy with his formations. Uh, he was trying to, trying to trick the opposing team and opposing manager so much so that he confused his own team. Uh, that's what, that's what initially I saw. Um, I mean, just look at, just looking at the lineup, you know, Going to a back four. How many times have we used the back four last year? You know, I mean, I get it. We got the players, and you want to try, but stick to what was what worked for you in the past. Um, this it didn't look like it was going to work for me, but hey, I was optimistic. Um, hey, I'm not necessarily against it, but for me, I guess kind of feel like either do it or don't do it. Right. And I don't think we really commit. It was just it was just weird, kind of amorphous thing that was happening. And like I said, I think it caused some confusion. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem if we if potentially we moved in like a, a four two three one or something. And I've actually seen a lot of people on Twitter. Yeah, calling for that formational change. It's something we, I think, we dropped into late in the mat, uh, the last preseason friendly against Fiorentina. We ended up scoring like three goals in it. Not that you can take too much stock in, you know, a friendly, but um, yeah. So I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with that. It's just I, I don't know if the way we approached it with like you know three or four different formations, it looks like today, or shapes that the team was falling into, was really the best way to go. And 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 to be fair to Tedesco, they they have flirted with formation changes. It's natural in the game. They normally start off the three four three, and if it's they're defensive, they're you know back to a five three two, and then if they're on the offensive, it's, it's more of a three five two or whatever three four three four four or whatever. I can't do my math at this point, but um, but the way they were doing it, it was just mixing and matching stuff that we hadn't seen before, and we're like, what is going on here? And it just seemed too confusing, not only for us but for the players. Um, all right, so that's on Shaka. Let's look at the lineup for Hertha Berlin. Um, in goal, they had Yarnstein. Uh, then you had. Toronariga, Rekic, who made her very brief appearance, Stark, Middlestadt, Meyer, Grujic, Lazaro, Solomon Kalou, uh, the Premier League guy from back in the day, uh, Andre Duda, who we'll mention plenty in this podcast, and Ebisovic. Uh, he's, he's an oldie but a goodie striker there. Um, it's funny, though. Their, their, their manager is uh, Paul Dardai, right? Dardai, or however you say, he's a Hungarian guy. Then I'm looking on the bench, and I'm like, they have a Dardai there too. What's his name? Oh, his name's Powell also. That's his son playing forward for uh, Hertha Berlin on the bench. Um, that's uh, that's. I was like, what is this? What's going on here? But hey, that's. I guess if you're the manager of the team, you can bring on whoever you want on the bench, right? Creative thing to name your kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Huh? What can I name my kid? I'll just name him my name. It's easier that way. Uh, now, yeah. Uh, this we're gonna talk about this team here. Uh, Ibisevic would obviously be the. Main guy you you would focus in on, but um, as we learn in this game, Duda, this guy Duda, who is from Legia Vorsa, um, he he is a fine player. Uh, he he had a pretty good game this one, didn't he, Jack? Uh that's yeah, that's an understatement for sure. <laughs> well, uh, so in, in this game, we kind of alluded to it already. Um, early on, it seemed like Shaka was doing like different kind of pressing techniques. Uh, random players going up, random players going back, like said McKinney being in the back, Caligiri would be up in the, near the attack. Um, it was very, very confusing. Um, but it seemed like the guys, at least Baba Raman, was getting into the game. I thought he had a fairly, fairly good game overall. Um, in the fourth minute, 
he did get a good in-swinger that Caligiri mistimed. Uh, I thought that was a great opportunity for him to score a goal there, uh, Caligiri, and he misses the ball, mistimes it, I don't know, but uh, it was a good play by Raman overall to get it in the box there, huh? Yeah, if he can, if he can kind of consistently have that delivery from wide areas, he's going to be uh, definitely a big asset for us. Um, and I think he's done a fairly decent job of that through the first uh, couple matches. I just think my biggest criticism so far is maybe connecting on some of the shorter passes and also the chemistry that he has uh, with teammates at this point. There's a lot of uh, plays that I noticed where it seemed like uh, you know somebody's expecting him to make a run or something. And he hasn't gotten that yet, but I- I'm sure that will come with time. Uh, you know the more he gets some of these match minutes, because obviously he's still making his first couple starts um, with Schalke since that, that horrible injury. Yeah, and you can say the same thing probably too about Mark Uth trying to get adjusted, reacclimated to the team. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, Sebastian Rudy will, because he's only been a team for, what, a couple of days now? So yeah. um, a lot of these new guys, Serdar, Mascarell, they're all going to have to get acclimated. And then once these guys finally get on the same page, they'll be hopefully a lot better. Um, you know, just like I'm not even a minute later, I was talking about Rekic having a very brief appearance. He ended up pulling his hamstring, unfortunately for him. So he had to get out of the game, uh, and Dilrosen came in and took his place. Uh, you never hate to see it. You always hate to see a guy leave on an injury. Uh, at first, I thought he was just like wasting time. Like, why are you wasting time in the fifth minute of the game? But then uh, he got up and he could he could barely walk. I was like, okay, well, that's it. Well, Yarstein was wasting time in like the fiftieth minute, so I wouldn't have put it past the rest of them. Yeah, was it a hand? <laughs> it looked like it looked like a groin to me or something. Yeah, it was it. something near there. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, they, showed, they had they had a shot of him, you know, going up through the uh, the tunnel, and it looked like he was limping pretty uh, badly on the way up the stairs. So you hate to see that. Absolutely. Um, so the guy we've been talking about, Andre Duda, in the eighth minute, uh, he signaled his intent to us uh, early on when he had a nice hard shot, just just went over the crossbar. Ralph Fairman. Uh When I saw that shot, I was like, "Whoa, that's a that's a pretty good pretty good kick on the guy." Um, usually, you see kicks like that from like Podolski or Schweinsteiger or something like that in the past. Uh, he's got a good leg on him. Uh, Accuracy was a little off, but the fact that he had he was freed up there and found the open space, uh, you knew something was coming with him that for that game. Yeah, finding his range early, he definitely looked uh, lively from the beginning, and uh, he you know went on to have a pretty good match, all things considered. Unfortunately for us, well, things started out um, okay for us at that point. Um, in the eleventh minute, a few minutes after that, uh, Weston McKinney would loft in a pass. This is when he was playing in his right back position mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, into the box, uh, it somehow gets evades or goes over the two Hertha defenders. It falls to Naldo. He gets a shot off on the goaltender. Uh, Yarnstein makes a save. Um, initially, first thing, first thing I want to say is when Naldo gets an opportunity like that or anybody gets an opportunity like that, they are expected to score that, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, I mean, because it's Naldo and it's not a header, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, not that he's bad with his feet. He scored a couple goals with his feet, I think, last season. Uh, yeah, and it was, it was a one-on-one. He just kind of unfortunately dragged it a little bit and didn't get any lift or any bend on it and kind of ran it uh, into a position where Yarston was able to grab it. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, when that fell to him, I, I almost thought that was certainly a goal. So the, the play was saved. The play would continue for a few more seconds. And then VAR rears its head um, and gets involved. Jack, uh, can you walk us through what was the call uh, on that on the VAR? What what were they looking at? Yeah, so I forget uh, which player it was uh, for for Herta. Um, I don't was it Torinaga? I don't I forget who it was, but uh, it may have been him. As that ball was coming in from McKenney, uh, one of the players 
had his hand up in a unnatural position and made contact with the ball. Yeah, it was over his um, head. <laughs> I mean, completely unnecessary. It almost looked borderline intentional because you're just yeah. wondering, what, like, why? Why is your arm like straight up in the air? There's really no reason for that. Um, and uh, yeah, they called it back and, and and gave the penalty. So that that Naldo miss was had had the potential to be. Uh, rectified uh it, it looked like nabil bentaleb uh was walking straight up to take that but ultimately it was uh daniel caligari all right so let's talk so it was a penalty for shaka in in a normal circumstance or if you could choose whoever whatever kicker you'd want to take in that position knowing that we are we were 16 for 16 or whatever it was that the perfect record we had if you had your choice of kickers to take that who would, would you choose in that situation it would be nabil pentaleb I think I would choose him yeah, as well. It, it'd have to be. I mean, uh, and he's been the most cool and calm, collected when he comes up to those kicks. Definitely, definitely. He just he looks way more. And Caligari has scored a number of. Pen- I think he scored a couple of penalties for us last yeah, season. So I'm not did. saying he's bad at it. Um, and actually, a uh, friend of the show, uh, Phil Bonney, who was also on the call for this one, dropped a great stat, which was that apparently Caligari had never missed a penalty in his career. Uh, all good. Which, if that's true, it. is is pretty incredible. Yeah. But um, even I mean, even so. Uh, I, I think Bentel has just been hitting these with such authority, and and you know every time he you know he steps up, it's just it's a no doubter, and he's done it, you know, two consecutive weeks in, in the opener, and then also in the DFB Pokal match. I, I definitely would have preferred him to take it. And I think he had like four last year or something crazy. Yeah, know? yeah. Most of his, I think all his goals came from uh, from the penalty kick. Um, yeah, so Caligiri ended up stepping up, which is not a bad person to take, but. He misses wide, uh, and it's and as as it would be in football, uh, when one team misses, it's another team's gain and and their goal. Um, uh, the play would go down, I think, like a minute later, or whatever. Solomon Kalu would get around uh, Weston McKinney. Great play to set up Andre Duda, and he doesn't miss it from the top of the box. Uh, great goal, first off, uh, by Hertha Berlin. Unfortunately, against us, but. Uh, to me, Jack, I think more than anything, Weston McKinney is the guy who played poorly in that whole setup and, and caused that goal. Yeah, so there, there, to me, there's two people that fall for this one. Weston McKinney is obviously one of them. And actually, let me say this. I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter immediately after that saying that Weston McKinney just got burned, which I actually don't think is the case at all. I think there was actually a moment in around the seventh minute with that, which is a much better example of that where – and I don't know if this was a result of, um, like I said, that, that shift from the back four into the back three, but uh, he was pinching the striker right next to Naldo and left that entire space on the right wide open because right. Caligari hadn't tracked back yet, and he got burned on that play. Um, this particular one, he was actually right there along with his man. The mistake he made was he went for um, you know the, the tackle as that ball was coming down out of the air. He, tr- he tried to intercept that pass, um, which took him out of his – momentum and let the guy run by him because he because he he mistimed that um if he had let that ball come down he would have been right in front of um you know the Hertha player to to be in position to defend that and keep a cross from coming in um but unfortunately he you know like I said he, he let that go um but the mistake that got made then is uh Naldo and Sané are, are tracking into the box to cover either like a Bicevic, whoever was up there at that point and in my opinion Sebastian Rudy should have stayed more central to try to cut off the passing lane for a cutback, but instead he went flying out to try to defend the cross, yep. and that left 
the middle of the park wide open for that back pass that Duda ultimately found and and then, and then finished on. So um, to me, it was a poor decision by Rudy as well. Obviously, the initial mistake is from Weston McKenney to even give them the opportunity to, to run in there. But um, I think if, if Rudy has a little bit more discipline there, just kind of, you know, because I mean, what's going to happen there is if, if Rudy stays home, uh, that ball is either going to come in and, and have a lot of people defending it or... Uh, I forget, and I forget who who ended up crossing that in. Um, is gonna he's gonna have to make a run into the box. Kalu, at which point, yeah, so, oh, it was Kalu. Okay. Um, at which point, you know, Naldo or somebody's gonna have to pop out and defend him. And I think that probably would have been the better, the better outcome if something like that happened. So, um, yeah, not not a good moment. And obviously, you know, it, it's a, a massive emotional swing in the game because we went from thinking we were about to score a penalty to conceding less than a couple minutes later. Yeah, and so just like that, it's one nothing uh, early in the early in the first quarter hour. Uh, if you look at the stats of the first 15 minutes, um, it, it may have felt as though we had the better of it, but according to the stats, uh, all Hertha in possession, 60% to 40%. Uh, shocking, we're ed- shocking. Shaka were edging in shots, uh, three to two, but again, uh, what mattered was a goal and, and Hertha scored it on that counter. Uh, so, uh, just like that, uh, one nothing. Um, Trying to look at my stats, here, my stats, my notes here. Um, the rest of the first half played out. It was much, much of the same. It was really the midfield not really creating any opportunities. Um, you know, it, it seemed that Bentaleb, McKinney, and and Rudy were really struggling to get to create create any offense. Um, and then when when they are on the defensive end, it didn't seem like people were backtracking. Like you just said, Rudy. Rudy missed time to misjudge the the play there. Went for the went for the to block the cross instead of stopping you know, stopping center of the park and the goal happened. So overall, I think the midfield were the most shaky out of the whole group, uh, at least for Schalke in terms of Schalke. What do you think? Yeah, I've been trying to figure out through the first couple of games why we've struggled so much offensively, and I, I don't know if it's because um, is the strikers haven't been dropping deep enough to try to create outlets and then kind of overlapping run situations or, or what it is, but it definitely has seemed like there hasn't been a lot of movement off the ball kind of in the center of the park. And so a lot of what we had to do is funnel these passes out wide, um, which, you know, we're able to advance the ball with, with varying degrees of success. And um, yeah, Rudy and Bentaleb had very quiet, at least at least Bentaleb at the kind of the first half of that 45 minutes, um, it really didn't do much to get to to affect the match at all, and it was just kind of a lot of aimless passing without a whole lot of bite or intention to it. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, struggled to break Hertha down and create any real concrete chances. I think I think some of the better opportunities really just came from kind of Plianka doing what he does, sort of the reverse Ian Robin out on the left hand side, cutting in and, and getting some shots off, which he came fairly close to on a couple occasions. But yeah. uh, he was the main man for me, kind of forcing the issue. Um, if you compare the, 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 two, the two big names in midfield, uh, Sebastian Rudy in Schalke's case and uh, Andre Duda, and you compare them, um, Duda had two shots, Rudy didn't have any. Um, if you look at the touches uh, during that first half, Duda had double the touches of Rudy, something like 26 to 13 or something something crazy, or 44 to 20, whatever. It was, it was more than double than what Rudy had. Uh, and uh, if... If Rudy was a a striker and Duda was a midfielder, I could understand that discrepancy. But both being midfielders, I would expect the numbers to be fairly similar. Uh, the fact that Duda was really outworking Rudy 
through the first 45 was showing how much of a contrast it was between Berlin and, and Schalke because they were going at it. The ball kept going through him, and he was setting up plays, and obviously they scored a goal. Yeah, and I don't want to be too hard on Rudy because, once again, he's only been with the team a matter of days before this match happened. But also, uh, he was dropping really deep, which it, which it looked like was somewhat by design. When Schalke would you know, switch from a defensive posture into an offensive one going forward, Rudy would be oftentimes really deep in the center of the park um, trying to create an outlet. So but the fact that he wasn't able to influence too much you know, near the final third isn't surprising given where his starting position was on a lot of those Schalke possessions. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I, and I, I probably think that is, to, you know, for design. Um, typically, the, the sixes for Schalke tend to do drop deep, get those passes in, try to become an outlet and, and try to start a, start to, start to play up the field. Um, but he just, for whatever reason, wasn't connecting. Uh, guys weren't, weren't feeding him the ball, and he wasn't setting up plays really well. Um Halftime, the halftime stats suggested that Shaka were were doing well. They're winning possession. They're out shooting ten to three. Uh, but you know, stats can deceive you. Uh, if you just look at the, if you just watch the game, it seemed that Berlin had better of the play. At least I thought. Uh, what were your thoughts on the first half overall? Yeah, I agree. I would agree, and that's. I think that's the way uh, the stats ultimately ended up at the at the end of this one. I think we ended up shooting out shooting them something like sixteen to five. And had more possession as well. So if you just looked on that, you might think that it was Schalke really dominating. I just think a lot of those shots outside of um, you know a couple of the kind of Plyanka efforts were just sort of aimless and and not really as a result of um, any clever sustained buildup. It was sort of these kind of you know random one off attempts. So I, I think it's really the quality of those shots that's that's the most important thing. And um, obviously Hertha had the the better chances in this one. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. Um... Outside of the penalty, obviously. Obviously, <laughs> uh, if, if we look at the first fifty-first minute, it's it's a play you alluded to earlier. Uh, the goalkeeper Yarnstein, uh, he received a yellow for delay of game. Uh, I've seen delay of games by goal t- goaltenders and other people on the field. Usually, it's in the seventieth, eightieth minute or all. <laughs> yeah, or, exactly. Not right after halftime. That was a head scratcher for me. Yeah, he was doing that a couple. I mean, he didn't get a yellow card both times, but he got it happened on a couple occasions, and he ultimately got a yellow for it. He was. Taken like you know, thirty seconds to 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 release a goal kick after you know a change of possession or something. You're like, what are you doing, dude? We have like you know thirty forty minutes that need to be played in this match. Oh man. Anyway, so that gave enough time for Serdar Swat Serdar to warm up, um, and he would come on in the fifty first minute. So him coming on I means somebody had to come off, and that would be Sebastian Rudy. His day would be done. Um, like you said, we. Don't want to be too harsh on him because he's new to Schalke. I don't want to blame his performance on him. I want to blame it on Tedesco for putting him in so soon. I get why he wants to be. He wanted him to be in the lineup because he's a big marquee signing, if you will, and you want to get him out there. But he doesn't know the he doesn't know the the lingo, the plays, or anything yet. Uh, he's going to get up to speed. And you had Swat Serdar there. You had Mascarell. You had Bentela, McKinney. You had all these guys that are already there, and, and probably some more guys on the bench. And why didn't you put any of them in? You know, that's what I blame. I blame more Tedesco and, and the the planning of the game more than I do Rudy. Rudy, of course, is his first day, first couple of days on the team. He doesn't know the guys yet. He he's got to get up to speed. I'm sure his condition needs to be worked on. Um, I can't really blame him too much, but it was a poor performance for him overall. What did you make of the whole Rudy saga there? Yeah, not great. 
Um, I think he's a player that we expect to kind of end up being a fulcrum in a, in a sense. Oh, sure. sure. And, and having a lot of our play uh, go through him. And that definitely was not the case today. But as we said, I think that will probably come with time. He's a, he's a player that's held in, in very high regard in the Bundesliga and rightfully so. And, uh, you know, it's a big signing for us. And I think uh, over the course of the season, this will prove to be a very positive starting, but you know, once again, you can't expect that on the back of four or five days of training with a new team. Do you think it was just more of Tedesco and the management team just trying to rush him out there, trying to show off their new toy? Yeah, yeah, it was that, and then also kind of the weird formational and stuff that was happening in this match. That I think, I mean, I don't think he was setting anybody up for success, let alone Rudy, who's had less time to work on those things than anybody else. So uh, a couple minutes into, a couple minutes after that, uh, in the 53rd minute, it was kind of a micro, microcosm for the whole season so far, the first two games. Definitely the, definitely the game against Hertha. Um, so there was a corner kick, and Middlestadt, of all people, out jumps Naldo uh, and gets the ball and clears it out. Um, it's, I think I can't even think of maybe one or two times last year that Naldo was out jumped on any play. Um, or if, if he missed it, it's because he mistimed it or he just missed it wide. Uh, it's rare to see people out jump him and to see Middlestadt do that over Naldo. You're like, come on, that's this is the kind of game we're going to have here. <laughs> hey, you know, this is what we're talking about, though. You can't you can't expect the uh, the, the set piece, the dominance that we had last season to necessarily be that easily repeatable. Yeah, it's not something you can bank on to just, I mean. Win, win those battles in every single match you're going to have. And I still think we're going to have our fair share of those. Um, and I'm sure Naldo will get get his share of goals this season. But I mean, are you going to rely on him to score six, seven, eight goals? This no. I mean, I, I think that's I think that's a little bit unrealistic for him to do that. You know, back to back years. So um, yeah, these these things will happen. We just need to make sure that we're um, laying a, a better foundation for the rest of the match. So that those moments are kind of supplemental rather than <laughs> the main thrust of our attack. Or, you know, or, you know, or, yeah, or defense well, yeah. as, as it is, you know, whatever the situation is. But I'm with you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> um, two names. We we heard plenty of Conan Plyanka in the first half, but two other names we didn't really hear too much about were Mark Uth and uh, Brielle Mbolo. Brielle Mbolo had a really nice play earlier on in the first half uh, where he did like a spinorama around the uh, defender when he got the ball, came out, laid out a beautiful cross pass to Baba Raman, I think, or, or Conan Plyanka or something like that. But that was pretty much the only time you really heard Brielle Mbolo um, he would come off in the 57th minute and come in would be Guido Bergstaller. Uh, assess Briel and Bolo's performance in your eyes. Uh, what did you make of his for mostly the first half performance? Yeah, once again, this is a player I don't know how harshly I can judge him just because he was playing in positions he almost never plays in. He he was I'm not I mean I'm not making this up. He was straight up in the midfield at times. He was and, and not even like. As a winger, like he was like more of a central midfielder at parts of this yeah, match. It was yeah, so weird. Yeah, and he, he there was definitely times where he got forward and got you know wide on the wings and it was kind of in a in a position that he's more comfortable in. But um, yeah, I don't want to say that he had that poor of a match when he's just probably being asked to do some kind of strange things. So. He was just ineffective. Um, and that's all it was. Yeah, and he still had some decent moments. I know he had one moment where he played a nice through ball forward to to Mark Oot, I think who yes uh, had a really tame shot at goal that didn't really challenge the goalkeeper at all and. Um, you know, he had a couple decent runs off off the corner where he was looking to make things happen, but uh, yeah, I, I still think it's an interesting debate whether or not his better position is is wide or, or central. I think the conventional wisdom is that it is that it's in a in a wide position, but I, I think it would be interesting if once or twice we got to see him 
um, in a central role with, you know, a kind of Plianka or somebody else flanking him and see what he could do roaming in, uh, you know, a, a more direct role. I don't know. That'd be, that'd be interesting to me. But, uh, you know, I, once again, the best is yet to come for him. At some point, he does need to produce. Otherwise, all this this um, potential we talk about is going to be kind of fruitless and it's going to get old real soon if he doesn't start converting some goals. But, uh, you know, yeah, I think I think to some extent the jury's still out on him and, you know, he has some time to to get things going. It's for, early in the season. And for our listeners, just so everyone knows, when Jax has played central, he's talking about attack, not in the midfield like he did in this game. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. And that, that, and that was just what you're talking about. It's kind of what was a head-scratcher from Tedesco. It just seemed like he was just trying to be too too tricky or too cheeky uh, with the, with his plays and setups and having guys doing place, going places they're not you know familiar with. So I, it was just the whole the whole game was just weird to me. Um I did notice though when Burksteller came into the matchup that the intensity kind of picked up with the team, and it's natural because Burksteller just goes after the ball. He's he's always going 100. Um, percent What the results didn't really vary when he came in, but but the intensity certainly picked up with him, and it's all a product of of his tenacity on the ball. I would think. Yeah. Let me ask you something. I have a question for you. So. I, I could be very wrong about this, but it, it seems so far in a couple games that that Mark Root is being asked to work a little bit harder than he had been for Hoffenheim. Yes, and I'm wondering if that's throwing him off at all. Like it seems like he has to work a lot harder to get on the ball in this. I think I feel like before most most of the time last season he was kind of more of just a target man in the final third who was scoring on you know tappins and chances that were falling to him. It really seems like he's putting in a massive shift and, and having to work really hard to get all of his touches in this one. And I wonder if that's maybe part of the reason he hasn't been as effective as he wants. If that's either something that's not going to suit him or something he just kind of gets needs to get used to. I mean, what do you think? No, I think that's absolutely right. And I think, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at Hoffenheim, he was really more playing as when he was playing target, he was more on the wings because of Sandra Wagner who would be in the middle and he would be getting all his goals from the, either I think the left side or the right side. He would be up in the attack, but it would just he'd be more one of the wing guys. Um, to help out the, whoever Wagner, whoever was in the middle, but um, I think it's just he is being asked to play harder or a different style than he did last year, and it's it's going to take some time for him to get used to. I think with the as much as we want to see Mark Uth in the game, he kind of needs to see Bergseller out there doing his thing and kind of feed off of him. Or if they're doing it in practice, I'm sure they're doing it in practice, but uh, or even DeSanto. I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for DeSanto to start one of these matches and then suddenly have our pressing game be like ten times better and everyone hop in my DMs. And we get, and, and we get four goals. And, yeah, and we score a couple times. <laughs> we get to buy our lunch. Yeah, and we're, and we're really suffocating them on their <laughs> possessions. I can't wait for that to happen and we just have to come on here and eat so much crow. But but, but to be fair, DeSanto he has great work ethic and it's something kind of what we need. We don't need necessarily DeSanto, but we need his kind of press. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I do think Mark Wood's been working, you know, fair, reasonably hard. It definitely seems like he's not. He, I don't think he's being lazy out there by any stretch no, of imagination. No, no. But yeah, I think it's. I, I feel like it's a little bit of a different role that he's being asked to play this season than he, he's used to. So it'll it'll take a bit. I I am by no stretch of the imagination hitting the panic button on this team. Um, I mean, I think we've played pretty awful for the vast majority of the first hundred eighty minutes of this season. But uh, there's a lot of new faces and. Um, you know, it's it's going to take a little bit of time to, to settle everybody down and, and get into a rhythm. So I, I I think I think we'll be all right. But it's been uh, frustrating television so far. That it certainly has. Um, if you want to see an, an ex- another example of uh, Duda outplaying his 
Schalke counterparts. Uh, the 63rd minute, uh, there's a play where Kona Plianka has the, is trying to get the ball out left wide, um, and Andre Duda is backtracking, makes a perfect tackle, steals the ball, then gets the play going the other way. I mean, his, his work ethic in that game was just so much better than anything Schalke was able to offer in the midfield. Um, he was he was going up in the attack. He's coming back in defense, helping out. He was everywhere, and and that's it's something that was missing for Schalke. I mean, we we keep repeating this in this podcast, but um, he alone was outworking the three midfielders or four midfielders, if you include um, the the substitute. Uh, he was just everywhere in that game. He was a beast. Yeah, I mean, on paper starts off in sort of a central midfield role, but you saw him pop up on a lot of different areas of the pitch. And, and when when you see somebody making an impact in, in positions where you normally wouldn't expect to find them, I think that's when you really know that they're having that much of an impact because they're, uh, I mean, it seems like they're everywhere out there. And he, he definitely uh, made his presence felt in this one. So through the first uh, 65 minutes or so, um, statistically, Shaka were better in possession, but... If you were watching the game, Hertha started stringing passes together left and right. Uh, in my opinion, they were outclassing Schalke with all these nice path- passes. Excuse me. Um, it was uh, again. It's another matter of you know, stats versus your eyes, and your eyes are telling you one thing, and stats are telling you another. And it, it's you want to go with your eyes, obviously, all this all this time because you, you kind of have to throw stats to the side there because. Uh, if you look at the game, Hertha are just stringing passes together like they're Manchester City or something. I, I, it was unexplainable. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, as we as we said earlier, the, the stats are not they they look like they're pretty kind to Schalke, but a lot of that possession was uh, was was pretty aimless, and uh, a lot of the shots were you know not on the backs of uh, you know really comp, you know cohesive pieces of play, I guess you would say. So, um, and it seems like what we've been doing a lot of uh, of, of the first couple of matches so far is there's there's not a lot of movement in the center of the park from from the attacking squad, and it's it's, it's a lot of play on the wings and then, you know, uh, hitting a wall and having to funnel it back to the center backs. And, uh, I mean, yeah, you can you can get some possession that way, but it's not possession that's really going to result in anything. And I'm glad you said not a lot of movement because it also went to the defensive end. And what I noticed, uh, whenever Hertha was counterattacking, you didn't see McKinney in sight. You didn't see Bentaleb in sight. It didn't seem like we were backtracking uh, defensively from the midfields to help the defense out and, and quash some of these his opportunities by Hertha. Um, is that something you were seeing too, or is it just me? Like, I, I every time Hertha was coming down the pitch, I just like where is the midfielders to help out? And I was like, I don't see them. Or like, they looked like they were lazing back, coming back. I mean, maybe they were just way out of position that they couldn't get there. But to me, it just seemed like they were nowhere where they were supposed to be. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that is just a chemistry thing. Um, yeah, when you have a when you have a pairing like Meyer and Goretzka. Um, or, or you know a more limited midfield selection, yeah, it's not great for the purposes of depth, but those those people are able to uh, develop some positional chemistry and everything. And, and you know we have we we brought in all these new signings, which is great, and we have a lot of different competitions that we need to employ them in. You know the Champions League is going to be a massive additional drain on resources, and it's nice to have those people. But you know two games into the season, especially with you know Sebastian Rudy that we talked about earlier, like I, I don't know if you can expect you know McKenny Rudy Bentaleb. You know, Caligar, all these different guys, Suat Serdar, you know, Mean Harit to to really be a hundred percent on the same page at this point. Um and and make sure, you know, there's people in the right positions and the right situations to to cover some of those things. I think there's gonna be some some growing pains in terms of making sure um you know, because that, that has to be unconscious at the end of the day, you know what I mean? No, I definitely I mean in order to play well, you have to be 
you have to have full confidence in your teammates to know where they're going to be in certain situations. Uh, and, and until we get to that point, I think you're going to see some of that, um, you know, and, uh, yeah. And, and maybe, you know, even on a lesser level of, you know, analysis, maybe, maybe some of it is, is effort or something like that. Maybe some of that's dropped off in the team this year. We need to have some more effort, uh, you know, in pressing and tracking back and those sort of things. But, um, to, to me, I'm, I'm trying not to be too hard on the team at this point. I'm just going to chalk it up to a lot of, you know, it's early and we need to, to build a little new, new chemistry with some of these new signings. Yeah, and hopefully that's all that it is because uh, chemistry, as we saw last year, can go a long way. It can make up for a lot of deficiencies, uh, if you will. By by no stretch last year, we were the most talented team, but we were the hardest working and, the, and probably the most close-knit team. Uh, we saw in this preseason how close-knit the team is, so hopefully that will rub off on the pitch and they can get used to each other and, and know where they're at. So um, hopefully the product byproduct of that will will surface here soon, and especially because we got three games and seven coming up very soon. So um moving on to the game you know back into the game it was evidence that Dardai the manager for Hertha was employing a 5-3-2 tactic that seemed to be stagnating Schalke and they couldn't figure out a way to creatively get around it um all credit to Hertha Berlin defensively they were anytime Bergstaller or anybody came you know came down the field into the box they made great tackles to get him get it you know get the ball out or block passes or block shots uh but it just seemed like Schalke it was the five three two was uh, prevent preventing Chaka from being creative. Uh, let alone Chaka was having trouble uh, struggle was struggling with that already. But the five three two has made it that much more worse. Yeah, I mean, definitely did a good job plugging it up. And uh, you know, when when we're not very sharp in the passing game, that's just going to magnify those issues. Uh, you know, if if you're struggling to break a team down, you need to at least be able to make some of the more easy passes and uh, a lot of ways in which Schalke was just really not not up for it this, in this match. All right, uh, one quick note on substitutions. Uh, in the 73rd minute, Amin Harit would come on. Baba Rahman would come off. Um, let's just fast forward to the end of the game because it wasn't until – the dying embers of the game that Shaka actually picked up their play and started looking like a team that we were reminiscent of from last year. Um, in the 89th minute, uh, Mark Uth was finally starting to perk up. Um, he would get a shot off uh, that would be just wide, uh, but he had good power on it, much more power than he had early in the game. So the fact that he still had energy at that point, uh, maybe he was just saving it for the end. I don't know who knows, but uh, it seemed like finally he was getting his, uh, his bootstraps in there. Um, 92nd minute, Naldo, uh, he's already up in the attack at this point, trying to trying to you know, stimulate a goal here. Uh, he would head it forward to Bergstaller, uh, whose shot was just saved by Yarnstein. Uh, good play to see. That was, by the, at, at that point of the game, that was our best opportunity to try to score a goal uh, with that Bergstaller from Naldo. Uh, what about you? What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. And, and the fact that, you know, despite how poor of a performance I think we both agree this was, that we were in position to still nab an equalizer late and get and get, yeah. a, get a chance, you know, for something that would have, uh, you know, I think that speaks to, once again, you know, the, the team doesn't give up, which is a good thing to see. We saw, you know, we, we had some really unfortunate circumstances in the first match uh, with the decisions that went against us. And uh, being a man down, and we still find find a way to to grab an, an equalizer, and actually look like we were going to take the lead late in that match before we ultimately conceded late. And you know, this one we're on stoppage time, and we look really, really dangerous. And that, that's that's positive to see. This this team is still grinding and trying to get those results. It hasn't gone our way the first couple games, but um, that's the kind of attitude that's going to, you know, even in spite of some poor performances, probably going to save some points for you over the course of a long campaign. I know, absolutely. Uh... 
it was uh, it was nice to see that the guys. I mean, for sure, when the guys started like getting active and in, into the box like that, I thought for sure we were going to tie the game. The, the shots started coming. I was like, okay, we're going to tie it here. Um, and it's funny because uh, our friend of the show, Phil Bonney, who was commentating the game, I think it was him or is is a uh, is a uh, uh, Stefan Freund. Stefan Freund. I couldn't think of his name. Or Stefan yeah. Freund. One of them was saying like. Where was Shaka all this for the whole game? Why couldn't they start this in the 50th minute instead of the 89th minute or whatever, what have you? So, uh, and it's an excellent point. Well, why didn't they start doing this? Maybe, maybe Hertha would have been on the defense of the entire game. Um, so, uh, yeah, no. So it's unfortunate that it took them that long to do it, but at least they were doing it. Uh, in the 93rd minute, Caligiri uh, was deep and sent out a long, deep pass into the box. Mark Uth did well to knock it down, turned around. Let off a great shot, which I thought was going in, but it was just palmed away by Yarnstein at the last minute. Um, I thought Marcus, that was his time right there. I was, I was like, oh, I was getting ready to celebrate, and he just got saved. Yeah, he had an opening. He bought himself a little bit of space, was able to get off a good shot. Definitely hit it with a lot more venom than a couple of the opportunities he had earlier. But it was, uh, you know, uh, put in a position where if Yarnstein reacted fast enough, he was going to be able to get to it, and he ultimately did make a did make a good save on that one. Uh, worth noting, uh, there was four minutes of stoppage time in this one, so let's just go to the 95th minute. Why not? You know, why not? Because it's uh, it's yeah. Bundesliga. Uh, McKinney with a long throw in. Uh, it was it was obviously aiming towards Naldo. It seemed to me, I think it was Naldo, maybe it was Sane. Uh, Naldo was knocked down in the box. Uh, the ball would bounce around. Um, eventually it would bounce out to the the substitute who just came in. Uh, don't call me Carl Yastrzemski. Um, outpaces Konoplyanka, who brings him down just outside the box. Um, first, let's go back to the play in the box. Did you think that was a foul on Naldo or whoever that was? Uh, I think there's arguably two consecutive fouls on that play. The first one, you know, the arms of the back of Naldo, and the second one, Amin Harid is, is in position under that, waiting for it to come down the entire time, and it looks like yeah, the Hertha yeah. player, whoever that was, didn't even make a play on the ball, just kind of jumped up and ran into him and knocked him over. I think, and that, I was think, Duda. I think that was Duda. Uh, was or it maybe, I don't know, somebody. Let me let me take a look real quick. But like, yeah, I I think at, at a minimum one of those should have been called. I mean, yeah, maybe you don't call it on the play in the box because you maybe you have to give a penalty or something if that happens. But um, particularly that 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 play on Harid, I, I thought was probably had to be a foul. And uh, yeah, they they just they just didn't give it. Um, uh, no, you're absolutely right. I think I think it I think it no, it wasn't, dude. I take it back. I, I don't I don't know. Um, I, th- I think Duda was in the area and, oh, okay. and was able to go grab that loose ball once, you know, th- that that collision happened. But um, I-, I forget I forget what the player was, but yeah, it, it leads to this breakaway where I- where I think you know it should have been called back and we should have had a free kick. And instead, it's a one on one with the keeper. Kind of Plianka catches up at the last minute, uh, right at right at the edge of the box. And uh, to me, that that's a soft foul. I mean, he Not definitely was a foul. Was a straight red. I mean, I get yeah, it. I get I it. Mean, if he was the last defender, but I thought it was the soft play too. Yeah, he listen. Kind of think it definitely extends his arm to try to throw him off a little bit. Uh, I mean, there's there's absolute contact, and yes, Trumpsky goes down. Like from from the from the Heritage perspective, I think the argument would be, hey, if if you make that kind of contact on a player who's running to the box, you know, you 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 can't be angry if the player goes down and they and they call it. Like, I mean, I think that's probably fair, but at the same time, a couple of those replays you watch. It's like arm to arm contact, not necessarily like yes. you know he didn't he didn't like shoulder him. He kind of extended his forearm, and it, you know it, it just it, it looked like the guy was looking for it to go down, and I think he kind of baited the ref into it a little bit. So uh, very unfortunate, and led to a free kick right there at the end. 
Yeah, and then uh, that guy we've been talking about, Andre Duda, he would step up and scored a brilliant free kick goal. Nothing Fireman or anyone in the world could have done to stop that. Um, he would get his brace. Hertha would get their first win in Gelson Kirsten. Uh, 2-0 was a flattering scoreline for them, though I thought they deserved a 2-0 <laughs> victory, in my opinion. Um, we waited way too long to try to assert ourselves offensively. Um, we lost. Yeah, it sucks. We're down. We're 0 and 2 to start the season. But there were some positives at the end of the game that we need to take forward. Um, uh, do you, did you see any positives in the game? I thought just the fact that they were able to push. They need to learn to push in a game earlier than wait till the last minutes of the game. You know what I mean? They got to do it in the 50th minute, 60th, 70th minute, not not in the 89th minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and once again, I think I think the attitude at the end of the game is is a positive takeaway. Beyond that, I don't I don't think there's a, there's a ton that I'm going to be pleased with. I mean, I guess I'm glad that we're seeing people like Bob Rahman be healthy and be involved, and Mbolo be healthy and be and getting involved. And um, yeah, it's just you know two pretty subpar performances. And uh, I, I guess at the same time though, I mean the the other way to look at this match is you know if Naldo finishes a one-on-one with the keeper and if we score a penalty this is 2-2. Two, two. This is true. Um so we definitely had our opportunities. It's just it's just a matter of once again we we need to find a way to create more opportunities from open play with the offense that we're not relying on these on these set piece opportunities to to finish stuff off but um yeah, the people that are gloom and doom in panic mode uh I'm definitely not in that camp. They're, I think we're going to be okay. Um not an ideal start zero points from possible six start of the season, but it, it's very early days yet. And I, I think we'll settle down. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I guess the, I want to say international break with the United or United nations, the UEFA national nations league break came at the right time. Cause it will give us uh, a weekend to get, you know, reacclimated, try to straighten things out, refocus, uh, because they have a, a tough stretch. Once they come back, um, the following, not this Saturday coming up, but the Saturday after, uh, they they host Mucha Gladbach, I believe. Then the following Tuesday or Wednesday, they play Porto. And then the following weekend after that, it's Bayern Munich. Uh, so it's three games in seven days. It'll be tough, tough stretch. So Schalke yeah. need to refocus uh, for those three games there. So Yeah, from the Schalke perspective, I agree with you. From the general soccer fan, I, I, I hate that there's an international break. Two weeks into the season, two oh. months after a World Cup. Like, can we get rid of this, please? Like, and I like this new Nations League setup. I, I first I hated it, but now that they're reading more into it, I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. But I hate where the timing of it. Two weeks since it's oh, yeah, I mean, especially after a world, especially in yeah. a World Cup year, we just had a massive international tournament. You really need to have a couple random friendlies take place, like and break up the season. Right? Yeah, it's 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 frustrating. I, w- I wish we had a couple more weeks of Bundesliga before something like this happened. But yeah, from the Schalke perspective, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, maybe it's good to take a break and kind of reset here and. Uh, approach this difficult run of fixtures with, with a fresh mindset. Oh, well, that's that's enough of the uh, Hertha Berlin talk. Um, I know we're both getting angry and tired of talking about this. Schalke fans, what was your thoughts on the uh, on the whole fiasco at Hertha Berlin against Hertha Berlin? Let us know at so four underscore podcast on Twitter. All right, now we get to the to the end of the show where we talk about uh, we a- we asked on Twitter, uh, send us your questions uh, hashtag so four podcast and 
the Twitter sphere responded. We had plenty of listener questions, Jack. Um, I'll go ahead and uh, start it off um, from at Stein Hallberg. If I mispronounce your name, I f- please forgive me. Please forgive me. Um, so Stein Hallberg says, what is the ideal formation in lineup if every player were available at the moment? Jack, I'll let you start with that. I think that question really depends on whether or not or at least I should say what, what system you think we should be playing in. Because once again, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of discussion in the, in the Twitter sphere right now that, you know, maybe we should be playing a, a four, two, three, one or something like that. If we're doing the same thing we've done in previous uh, matches under Tedesco last year, where it's either, you know, like a, a three, five, two or something, something like that, then, I mean, I guess what you'd have to say at this point is, is probably Nastasic, Sane and Naldo. Um, there's an argument to say that maybe Stambouli should be in there just because of some of the difficulty we had in the first match with uh, our center backs on the ball and the composure that they had. Stambouli's an excellent passer, so maybe you rotate him in. Um, and then from there, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I can't really judge Mascarell at this point because we haven't really seen him in a, in a meaningful match yet for Schalke, but... Um, I still believe in McKenney, obviously with my American bias. I, I think Nabil Bentaleb is is important. Um yeah, maybe a midfield three of Sebastian, Rudy, McKenney, and, and Bentaleb, although that's kind of what we saw in this one. It didn't really turn out too well. Um I, I, I personally think that Amin Harit should be um sort of in, in vaguely a number ten role, right in behind the strikers, which is something I, I don't think we see enough of him in. Um, yeah. He's, he's, he's really the one player that can kind of be creative and, and break people down and that sort of thing. And then up top. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe Margut and, and Bolo or depending on, you know, I feel about a more direct and hardworking squad, maybe, you know, Bergstaller in there. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. We definitely have more depth this season than we've had in, in previous years. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta get minutes to all these people. And, you know, kind of at times today looked really dangerous and I was definitely a fan of his play last year. So, um, I don't know. It's something I'll have to give some, some more thought to, uh, if people have ideas out there in Twitter and they want to send us their lineups, I'd, I'd definitely be interested in seeing what, what, what all of you come up with. But, um, it was sort of my general feelings at the moment. I haven't been I haven't been very impressed with Serdar so far. Have you? No, but again, I haven't. I've only seen a little bit more of him than I have of uh, Mascarell. I like to see more of him. The crowd seems to get into it every time he gets comes off the bench to come play. So maybe they're seeing something that we don't see exactly. But uh, as of right now, it's still a wait and see. I haven't nothing impressed me yet, but nothing that's been like uh, he sucked. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, my ideal lineup, uh, if everyone was healthy, Alexander Nubel. No, I'm just kidding. Um, obviously, <laughs> obviously, Fairman and goal. Uh, yeah, I didn't think I had to address the goalkeeper position. I thought that was kind of taking for granted, but yeah, go for it. Uh, so yeah, well, actually, uh, yeah, you know, team on Velenreuter. I want him back. Uh, oh, that's what yeah, I want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Neuer back? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I would back three. I'm with you. Uh, Nastasic, Sane, and Naldo in there for sure. Um, I could I could see why you'd want to put Sambuli in there. We do need someone who's composed. And when it gets the pressures on, it makes good passes. Um, midfield's where it gets tricky for me because, like, in the attack, I would love to see, obviously, Uth in there and maybe Berksala or Di Santo with an Embolo. But I kind of want the, you know, I want, on, the, on the midfield, I, I want either a Chipko or, or Ramen in there at some point. But I also kind of want McKenny and Rudy in there and even Bentaleb. And we'll see what Serdar and Mascarell can prove. Uh, so, I I don't know. I'll probably do a three four three 
Like, how do you leave Calajiri out? He's been so excellent for us in the past. You know what I mean? So I'm yeah, going to exactly. go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with the old standby. I'm going to go Ochipka and Calajiri on the wings. In the middle, I'm going to put uh, McKinney as, with the American bias and Rudy. And then in the up top, I'm going to put Marco Uso on the left. Uh, let's do Bergstaller in the middle and Mbolo on the right. Okay. Okay. But not, there's so many pieces in here. I, I would I could do so many different things. Um, do you want me to take the next question? Yeah, go for it. All right. This comes from Avin. It's at A-V-A-K-Y underscore. He says, do you feel that the lack of pressing by the whole team to win balls back is a symptom of the poor attitudes, passing, and all-around play? When we worked hard to win the ball back last year, we found ways to win games. Now it seems like the players are too scared to attack the ball. <sighs> yeah, I, I do think the pressing in the first couple games has been a little bit less than we saw last season. Some of that could be by design. I don't, I don't know if that's right. Something yeah. that we're putting less emphasis on as a squad. Um, and also, you know, DeSanto hasn't been playing and he was somebody that was a, a big part of that up top. And also, you know, we didn't see Bergstaller start this one and he generally has a pretty good work rate as well. So, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think if you put kind of plank on the pitch, you're not going to ex- be expecting him to, putting a lot of pressing work same with Mbolo um once again yeah I, I just I, I think it's really early in the season to draw kind of large conclusions like that oh we're like we're just not pressing in general and that's a problem um but I mean I, I mean I see where it's coming from to some extent I I think we'll have to see if we turn any of that around in the next couple matches but uh that was that was a big part of our success year I can't I can't disagree I mean last year we definitely had an excellent work rate and bought ourselves a couple possessions that we probably wouldn't have had a match just by forcing people into bad turnovers. And um, if, if that's not the case, really making it difficult for them to advance the ball into dangerous positions and making them work for every you know yard of space they got as they, as they moved up the pitch. So um, that kind of thing can definitely cover up deficiencies that you have elsewhere in your team. If you're, if you're putting in that kind of shift. No, uh, absolutely. And I think last year, the, the best that we looked, were the games that we pressed really, really well. And 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 the Byron game jumped out the most. Yeah, we lost that game. Well nothing but the way we pressed in that game for ninety minutes, uh it, it put Ber- it, Berlin put Bayern on their heels and they couldn't figure really figure out how to break us down and it made the game tight and, and I love to see that. Um it seems maybe I want to give Tedesco the benefit of the doubt and he's uh trying to get away from the press right now just to try something different, try to work some new guys in there. I don't know, but um it, it I don't want to allude too much to some of the later questions we have because um, I think they make valid points. But um, as far as pressing goes, I just think it's part of by, by design right now, and and hopefully uh, yeah. it'll be implemented into the, to maybe next the next three games and seven that we have, and he wants to surprise Byron or somebody like that uh, with I, with the attack. I just don't know what we were really trying to do on Sunday. It, it's it's one thing if you have a clear shape and a clear plan of attack and it doesn't work, you can say, okay, well, that's what we were trying to do. And maybe we should try something different. I'm not even sure what we were doing on Sunday. There were so many things that were fluid and it just, it kind of just looked like a mess. So I think we need to wait until we have a little bit more, you know, uh, easily identifiable concrete plan of action from Tedesco. It looked like me trying too hard on football manager is what it looked like. (laughs) For you American listeners, that's that's more of a European type game that, like a FIFA, but it's all on your computer. But anyway, um, <laughs> let's go on to the next question. This is the one I, I, I really want to get into. Uh, this is from uh, Sismon Pavliki uh, at C 
Oh, excuse me. At S Z Y M O N six seven six two eight three eight five. He asks, "How much do you love Andre?" And he's talking about Andre Duda, the Golden Boy from Legia Warsaw. Um, for those of you who don't know who we've been talking about all podcast, um, let me read his Wikipedia page because this is really funny. Um, Andre Duda, born December fifth, nineteen ninety four, is a Slovak football midfield, full Slovak football midfielder who currently plays for German club Hertha Berlin and the Slovakian national team. His nickname, his nicknames are Dudinho and Andre Di Maria. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. Um, how much do we love him? I mean, when he's not playing Schalke, I think he's a fantastic player. He's 23 years old, and uh, he's an amazing talent. Got a great shot, great great vision, great work ethic. I just don't want to play against him because the guy's freaking good. Yeah, I mean, he made a, he made a decent number of appearances for for Hertha last season, but I think he kind of struggled to some extent to really find the form they were expecting. But breakout I mean, year, breakout year. May, hey, maybe. I mean, he's certainly he's certainly off to a good start, and not just you know not just this one. So I mean, I, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But I I was very impressed by him in in this match. Uh, how can you not be? Um, uh, doing doing a lot, popping up as I said earlier in a lot of different areas of the pitch. Um, excellent work rate, and you know he's he's got he's got an eye for finishing as well. So a very very well rounded player it seems like, and uh, could be a very important cog for them this season. If this is the talent coming out of Legia Warsaw, we have to have a new team now that Nuremberg's in the first division, huh? <laughs> if we can get if we can get Andre uh, Duda from uh, Berlin in the in the winter transfer market, <laughs> <laughs> I'd certainly take his talents. All right, uh, on to the next question um, or next uh, statement. This is from a good friend of the show, Lane Plummer. He says, uh, I think this comes down to a nervous feeling to meet the standards set the season before and just being outplayed. Regardless of what the players think, they were outplayed both games in all 90 minutes. Um, I agree. I mean, they, we, we have been outplayed the last two games completely. It seems like... Uh, the guys are just showing up trying to expect to win and they're forgetting how hard they worked last year to earn those wins. I don't know if I agree that we were outplayed in all 90 minutes of both matches. I think there were definitely stretches. The last 10 in, minutes for us, last game for us, were definitely on us. We were, yeah, I mean, even in the first point match, a man down, they were, we equalized in their parts of that match where we were going to take the lead. So I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. But I do think, I mean, on the whole, we were definitely outplayed in the first couple ones. And yes. the standards could definitely play a part in that. I don't think people expected us to jump from 11th place to second last season. And now that we have and we've, only in theory strengthened our squad. You know, I think there's a lot of pressure to maintain that. Um, and, and yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's weighing in, or maybe there's a false sense of security. Cause I do think to some extent we overperformed last season. Um, I hope it's not too much, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, that could play a part. I just, I think we just need to settle down a little bit and, you know, get a couple more training sessions in, let some of these guys build some chemistry with each other. And, you know, maybe this, this international break is a good time to, to reset and take a deep breath and, you know, reapproach this thing. So our good friend, Phil Bonnie, uh, chimed in on, and on the uh, Twitter questions as well. And he came in right after lane, uh, mentioned that, uh, Phil came in and said, I would sort of agree with that at the risk of upsetting some people. I think they may have been a bit like Germany at the world cup. They gave the impression that they thought they only had to turn up and move the ball around to win. The hunger from last time wasn't there. Um, and that's kind of what we were talking about is that the guys seem like they almost like they don't have to try as hard because, hey, we finished second last year. But, again, they, they didn't remember how hard they played last year. And, and I think it took them 89 minutes in this last game to realize, oh, we got we to gotta get in there get our foot in the ground and start playing. And they did for the last five, ten minutes. But it, it just – they're not – 
the I guess they're where their heads at and where they should be playing at is not in the same level right now. I love how we're just claiming that we're like best friends with Phil Bonnie. He's been on the podcast once and we're like, yeah, Phil Bonnie, just you know, great friend of the show. No, I'm just kidding. Uh no, we appreciate him chiming in and answering one of those questions. Love you, bro. Yeah, I would love to have him back on <laughs> back on the show at some point this season. He's 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 a great commentator. We enjoy listening to him. But um yeah, I mean that's that's what I was saying earlier, right? It just seemed a lot of this possession, a lot of this passing is is kind of aimless and is not um in the midst of any sort of creative buildup or buildup that looks particularly dangerous. It's a lot of just cycling it out to the wings, cycling it back to the center backs and not doing a whole lot with it. Um, so I, I agree. There, there's got to be more happening than just showing up and passing and the, and the chances are going to materialize and you're just going to, you're going to beat people. I mean, we, we had an excellent defensive record last season. Yes. We were very opportunistic. Um, so far through two games, we've missed some opportunities. We probably would have converted on and we've conceded four goals. So those two things are not, uh, you know, uh, the same as last year. And if if the offense is the same as last year, you're not just going to show up and win games like you were last last season. It's it's going to require you know an uh, an extra gear from us. So, um, I agree. I don't know if I say like the hunger wasn't there necessarily. Uh, it's a circumstances, like, right? Because if you look at the yeah. first game, we were playing a man down for majority of the game, right? And then this game, yeah. we lost. It was one goal. We were one goal down. Until the last second of the game, where they scored a second goal, and, and we, we created a couple of chances early, and I do think at the end of the match we, yeah. we came back and, and we looked good. So I'm not trying to say that the team is like straight up lazy or anything like that, but um, yeah, it just it, it, it's gonna. It's all I'm saying is it's it's gonna require more than what we did last year because you just can't bank on that automatically replicating itself. Uh, so Phil Phil Bonnie chimed in with a question of his own, and he says the better question is. Will they get it sorted out? Um, and he thinks the answer is yes. There's some great, massive quality and potential in the squad. They need to tap into that urgency that was evident in the last 10, 15 minutes on Saturday or Sunday for the game. Oh, and some passing practice would help. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's more of what we were saying there. You know, uh, it'll come around. I think it just, you know, if we look at the results 0 and 2, yeah, it's gloom and doom. But really, if you look how the game's panned out, it wasn't as bad as, as, as it showed. So, um, going on to the next question, uh, this is from Ayub at AYU3 underscore NU7. He says, Gladbach, or he or she, they, they say, Gladbach, Porto, and Byron all in a seven-day period. Considered we started so badly in the league, where will the focus be? League or Champions League? And who are we going to play our, our strongest team against? This is the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, it is. So from my perspective, I, I definitely feel that the league is more important than the Champions League because we are not a team at this point in time that is a Bayern or a Man City or you know one of those teams that's essentially guaranteed to finish top four in the in the league every year without too much effort. Um, to me, the most important thing for Schalke is, champ- is Champions League qualification and not necessarily Champions League performance. I mean, yeah, we all we all want to do well in this in this competition, we're excited to be back in there. The fans are excited. You want to make sure you put out a good lineup and are putting yourself in a position to win. And once again, given the group that we've gotten, um, I feel like there's almost more pressure on us to perform well. Whereas, you know, maybe if we, if we fill in a group with Barcelona, Tottenham, Inter Milan, maybe we would have just played a slightly uh, easier squad from our perspective and just kind of tried to coast through those matches. But um yeah, I don't know. And, and the fact that we've gone off to a rough start in the league is only is only complicated things because uh, as this as this listener points out, we we mean, yeah, if, if we have two wins from from two matches or something like that, 
you know, maybe we feel a little bit more confident, right. you know, using some reserves. That definitely hasn't been the case, but um, that that's going to be a very, very tough stretch for us. I mean, Gladbach and Bayern, we can, we could start off the Bundesliga, you know, four. with zero points from four matches, which would not be, not be good. So uh, to me, I, I think we're probably going to, going to see some focus on the Bundesliga. At least that's what I would like to see. To me, that that's, that's definitely more important. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think um, Champions League qualification is the most important thing at this point. Um, so focus all your energies on the, on the league and use the reserves and stuff for the, for the Champions League. That doesn't mean that you're going to concede and lose that game. No, it just means that you know your best lineup possible is going to be the Gladbach and Bayern games and then put in someone like a DeSanto or whoever. If DeSanto is not going to figure in your, your top lineups for those other two games, Put him in the in the in the, in the middle game or you know whoever Toyker needs to get some action for sure. Put the young guys in. Put Schof in there. Uh, maybe get Alexander Nubel in there against Porto. Who knows? Um, let's change it up and let, let get some guys some time, some pitch time, so they can get the experience. Uh, but I think the, the focus obviously is got to be Bayern, but also Gladbach. Uh, going down 0 and 4 would not be ideal uh, in this this time of year or any any year, uh, much less already going down 0 2. So. Um, I'm with you, Jack. 100% is that we got to focus on the league as best we can and and try to get that qualification into that Champions League. Uh, let's go to the next question. Um, well, it's more of a comment from R8. Um, it's at Ishtaliba8. I feel he's a, Bayer, or a Dortmund fan. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, he says, you should play your strongest team against all three. Maybe Tedesco underestimated losing Meyer and Goretzka last season. Then playing Uth with Bergseller or Mbolo probably doesn't work as hard as, say, DeSanto did. And, and you can go for it. If you can get away with playing your strongest squad in all three of those games without having to rest anybody, then, yeah, you do it. I mean, if you if you can play your strongest squad, you play your strongest squad. I think the point is I think everyone's assuming that we're going to have to rotate players. And if that's the case, which competition do you prioritize? So, um, yeah, just kind of yield to what I said on the last question, yeah. basically. I wouldn't want to play the, the, the strongest squad – all three games because you come to that Byron game, you know they're going to be tired, and Byron are going to walk you off the pitch. It'll be seven nothing in that game if you do that. Um, I think you need to rest guys for sure. If not the first game and do the last two games, the strongest opponents, or start with the strongest, go to another lineup, and then go back to the strongest. Uh, but you can't you can't go into that Byron game playing two games with your best your best lineup and expect to come out with a result. Yeah, I mean maybe give maybe give Toykert the start against Porto, get him some some Absolutely. European experience if you really think he's going to be a part of the squad long term stuff like that. So. Uh, you know that could that could allow for some squad rotation. Hopefully, players like Bastian or Chip could come back. Really, I mean, maybe you play Hamza Mendil that we got recently at the left back position. Hey. Um, in, in a match in one of these ones coming up. So, um, yeah, I mean, in, in if you give some of those players a chance and rotate them in, they might surprise you, and you might end up finding the keys to you know the performances for the rest of the season. Some of the guys that maybe you think aren't starters at the moment could become starters on the backs of some performances if you give them the right opportunities. And another question I saw that I don't remember where I saw it from um, is that uh, what if we do start out 0-4 or even 0-5 like, two, you know, a couple years ago, do we start looking at, you know, what do we do with Tedesco at that point? Do you stay calm and let her write it out um, or you do hit the panic button and, and try to find someone else? I say, obviously, relax, write it out. We are, if we wrote it out with Vinezeal, we can write it out with Tedesco. I think Tedesco can ride, ride the ship, um, but we, no one wants to see us start 0-4, 0-5, but uh, sometimes you know the cards fall that way, and that's how you start. Um, I think uh, Tedesco can get, can get out of that kind of jam, 
Uh, but I would definitely say write it out, and, and I would hope that Heidel, given that he had given him an extension recently, would write it out and, and let it go this season, see how it goes out, and then, then decide from there. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Um, that's all the questions I saw. Did you see any questions? Uh, you have any questions for the fans? Not that I'm going to answer, but you know. <laughs> no, I, th- I think that pretty much covered. I think it, uh, the one thing I'd say is if yeah, if, if anybody has ideas on what lineup they'd like to see, I'd love to see people hop on on one of those you know lineup builder websites and, and send us some ideas. We can have a conversation about that uh, for sure. I'd, I'd love to engage in that conversation. Boom! That's how it's done. Well, thank you to all the listeners. Uh, that was great questions there. Keep them coming each week. Uh, we love uh, reading them and then responding to them. Um, uh, if you have any comments, like, like Jack said, of your own, just let us know at s underscore at so four underscore podcast. It would help if I knew the the, uh, the Twitter handle, huh? <laughs> yeah. How long have we been doing this? We should have that down by now, probably. Uh, should but. should. Uh, anyway, that'll wrap up this one, I think, on that note. Uh, we want to thank Schalke and Fox Soccer for providing us tidbits for our podcast today. To my co-host, Jack, uh, where can our followers find you on Twitter? At J.M. Mangan, J-M-M-A-N-G-A-N on Twitter. Look forward to uh, engaging with you on there. Uh, what are you going to be up to during this uh, short international break? <sighs> Sleeping. Probably watching Weston McKinney tear it up for the U.S. men's national team. That's why they're actually playing uh, Brazil, Brazil and pro- El Salvador yeah. at my ha- in my house, basically in my house uh, in D.C. Uh, I don't know if I'll be going, but um, hey, never know. You never yeah, know. high profile friendly against Brazil. That'll be interesting. And Brazil's bringing a pretty strong squad, so yeah, it'll be interesting be there, to see. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, perfect. Uh, once again, I am your host, Richard Carmen, and you can find me on Twitter as well at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Uh, nothing too much really going on with me other than fatherhood, so I'm just trying to take that one day at a time. and Get some sleep, bro. Get some sleep because I start a new position on Monday too, so this is going to be all fun. Um, anyway, until the next pod comes, my friends, uh, I'll try not to deviate too much. Uh, stay ready, and we'll be with you soon. Peace. <laughs>